I've spent time over the past week with many people who have left the church, many people who no longer wander in, uh, spend time in community, or many people who go to church yet have little relationships. And it grieves me because Mark 10.30, when Peter says we've left our homes, we've left things behind, what will we gain in coming to the kingdom, Jesus says to him that those who have left will gain a hundredfold now in this time, in this age, in this life. And he goes on to say in Mark 10.30, houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come, the kingdom of God to come, you'll have eternal life. We have a hundredfold blessing in the church. If you are homeless, there are houses in the church. If you have no brothers, there are brothers in the church. If you have no sisters, there are sisters in the church. If you don't have a mother, there are mothers in the church. And if you don't have children, there are children in the church. And of course, the reason Father is not mentioned is because there is a heavenly Father who is above all things. It grieves me to hear of Christians who find their community in pop culture or TV shows. I've seen so often people take refuge in shows like Friends and Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Rec and The Office. And what do all these things have in common? They're a community. A community of people. Yet what is sad about these communities is they are not communities founded upon the Word of God, but on self. If we were to think of the creed, a statement of belief for the communities that are seen in these shows or in culture of our time, I would believe it would go something like this. I believe in happiness, comfort. I believe that, that success at work will satisfy me. And I believe that sex is the highest of all joys. That would be something of the statement of faith of these TV shows and of our world today. Now, I hope no one ever cuts that out and just says this is what Shem believes because that would be really awkward. But I don't. I believe the Word of God. And we have a rich community that Peter is calling the church to. If there's anything that Peter wants us to grasp is that the church is the foundation of which the kingdom of God will go forth in the world. And it is going to be a set-apart community. Your family is not that. You alone are not that. You have to have the church. And the church has to be different and set-apart. Peter is building up the church with the gospel. He's been doing it through uh, different messages as we have seen. We're quoting that passage at the start as we see that we are born again to a living hope. The church has a living hope, therefore we do not uh, wander aimlessly in the world. We have a purpose to keep going and pursuing. The church has a way of living in obedience to God, not the world. The church has sincere brotherly love, which is set upon the foundation of the everlasting word, which is how this chapter concludes, but it's very much tied to next week. So we're looking at sincere brotherly love, which is fueled by the everlasting word. 
So let's unpack this passage while thinking about our community and thinking about the communities that we see in the world in comparison and how ours can be set apart from that. Verse 22, having purified your soul by obedience to the truth. It's clear here that Paul, uh, Peter is trying to build up the church. He's trying to encourage the church in hard times, yet with hard and direct teaching. He states the word having. This is something you already do. This is something you're already acting upon. It's like when Paul says to the Thessalonians, I want you to love. I I don't need to write to you about love because you're already doing it, but I want you to do it more and more. You're good at it, but you haven't yet arrived. Let's keep going. And in fact, really, you won't arrive until we enter into the kingdom of heaven. This is Peter saying, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. You are born again. You have new desires. You are purifying yourself already, but let's do this more and more. And we do this by obedience. We saw last week that, God, that we were called to call on the Holy God as Father. If we call on the Holy God as Father, we will find that we have the strength to be holy as He is holy. That was Peter's instruction. Call on the Holy One as your Father and it will give you the strength to be holy as He is holy. Now he says that our purification or our sanctification of our soul comes through small steps of obedience to the truth. It's like laying a brick path, one tile at a time or one cement piece of concrete at a time and slowly it becomes a path to holiness, to the kingdom of God. It is one step at a time, small steps of obedience that turn into a beautiful path to heaven. I love the psalm that says, Psalm 84, I believe it is, that says uh, that those who fear the Lord or those whose strength is in the Lord, their hearts will be highways to Zion. Their hearts will be highways to Zion. That is what obedience to the truth will look like. Our heart will be a highway to to Zion as we lay those little steps of obedience. But Peter is here being very specific. It's for a sincere brotherly love. The reason he is wanting us to purify our souls by obedience to the truth is for a sincere brotherly love. There's a very important reason for our obedience here. And our obedience to the truth is about how we have a sincere brotherly love. You don't get to decide what a sincere brotherly love is. I don't get to decide what a sincere brotherly love is. But obedience to the truth decides what sincere brotherly love is. And this is important. Because how much of church has had a sincere brotherly love? In our modern churches, we're not talking about external love. We're not talking about loving outward. We're talking about loving inward. The people in this building or the people that call upon the name of Jesus and say they are part of his church, we are to love with sincerity in a family 
love. Remember that Jesus Himself said in John 13.35, By this, all people will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. Not by the way you love them. Not by the way you love outsiders. But by the way you love one another. By the way you care for one another. That is how people are going to know that you are the disciples of Christ. I think this is quite big and humbling for us today. Because often it's the emphasis on going out and loving the community and we neglect the love for our brothers and sisters in the church. But Peter, echoing the teaching of Jesus, is that we should have a sincere brotherly love that comes from obedience to the truth. So let's break these words down a little bit. Sincere. Thinking about what this actually means. Sincere is genuine without play acting. That it comes from truth and not flattery. Our world today is full of the sin of flattery and I believe the church's great sin of our age is flattery. In fact, I have realised in my life I would prefer to be flattered, so I would prefer to be sinned against than to hear the truth. That's pretty bad that my culture, my age, has taught me that it's nicer to be sinned against by being flattered than to really hear the truth. You might find the same in yourself. But a sincere brotherly love is not flattery. It doesn't share lies with people to make them feel better. It doesn't puff them up with untruths. It tells them the truth from the Scriptures. It comes from a love that will correct and encourage. It comes from a love that will reprove when going wayward. It comes from a love that will point out areas in your family or your life that has not been walking in line with the Scriptures. That is what a sincere love is. A brotherly love is a deep family bond, protective. It hurts to be separated out from them, to be broken apart, to be uh, at odds with one another is painful because you're meant to be family. You're meant to last and endure together. Without sugarcoating it, giving up is a direct uh, breaking of this commandment, of this uh, teaching. Brotherly love endures and sticks out and fights for one another. But giving up is a failing of this. Yet how often have we seen people give up on one another in the church? Psalm 133 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on a head running down on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which flows on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. 
This beautiful picture that this psalm places is about endurance to fight for unity in the community of God's people. Upon the truth of God's word. To open the scriptures together and sit and not walk out. I've come to learn that in every conversation and every conflict in the church, there is a moment where you have to endure and not walk out on each other. You have to continue on through the disagreement, through the sins and the hurt that, is felt, that you have felt so that you can get past the pain and apply grace to one another. There has to be an endurance that pushes through the fleshly pain that we may experience or the even godly pain that we may experience from one another and to apply grace in the end. Love Sincere brotherly love is a decision to draw near to someone which God has defined. And of course the definition comes from 1 Corinthians 13, which we so quickly brush over because we've heard it so much. Yet this is God's very definition of love, so we should be thinking about it so often because every time I read it, I feel like I've loved no one. Love is patient, kind, does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This and this alone is sincere brotherly love. This was written to a church that was tearing itself apart. 1 Corinthians 13, the book of 1 Corinthians is a church that had so much worldliness, so much division, that Paul defines what love should look like. Not just for a married couple, but for each and every one of us. You may have made a covenant with your wife or husband, But you've also got a covenant to the church, the people of the church. That covenant came through your baptism. It came through the salvation of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit brought about new birth, you were bound to one another. You're bound to the church, the local church and the global invisible church with a sincere brotherly love. And I just want to point out that last phrase of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. Endures all things. That's all things. So there is nothing that you could do or someone do to you that is enough for you to separate out from them. That's a weighty teaching. And the reason being is because there is nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of Christ. And if there's nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of Christ, then you cannot be separated from another believer because they have the same grace that you have. The world has taught us that love has to be earned or that we don't have to be friends with everyone in the church. That's rubbish. You have to be family. With everyone in the church. You have to be a deeper relationship than just friends with everyone in the church. That is what we are called to have. 
That is why the richness of our community is better than what is seen on these garbage TV shows. Better than what is seen in the world. Because our love doesn't rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the truth. It's patient with one another. It has a hope that is beyond this earth that this community is going to be uh, 10,000 times 10,000s of different tongues and nations and tribes. This community is going to be a part of that. When the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. There's a word here, after sincere brotherly love, to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Earnestly. Intense longing with action. This is not waiting for something to happen or for a change in the relationship, but it's actively moving towards one another with prayer, if there's great division, through the word, understanding how I can love, because the word teaches us how we ought to love, and through going out of your way to build a friendship, family relationship with people in the church. And if there's a great division between you or there's great differences between you, spend a lot more time in prayer. Because this is God's desire for us. His desire is that we would have a sincere brotherly love. So that we would earnestly desire it. And if we earnestly desire it, then we're praying for it for the, for the starters. We're seeking wisdom from the Scriptures for it. And we are moving towards that person. We're not looking to avoid them. Peter doesn't give us many ways out here. There's no option but to have sincere brotherly love for those who have been born again. Because in verse 23, he says, since you have been born again. Since you have been born again. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart because you have been born again, as a result of the fact that you have been born again. There's no option for the person who has been born again. And we're not those Christians who believe that there are some Christians over here and then there's the born again Christians over here who are a bit more special. If you are a Christian, you are born again. Your old life has gone, your new life has come, and Christ loves you unconditionally through His grace, and you are to imitate Him the same. If nothing separates us from the love of Christ, then nothing separates a brother or sister from our love as well. We are to imitate His love. It comes from a pure heart because we have been born again and our heart has been taken, our heart of stone has been taken out and a heart of flesh has been put in. We have become a set-apart people with a love that is set apart from the world. A holy love, which is what set-apart is. A holy love is a set-apart love. Now Peter almost seems to suddenly change his point here as he moves on to the Word and leaves the teaching of love behind. In verse 23 he says, not of perishable seed, so we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding Word of God. 
It seems like he now changes to teach on the Word and he's going to quote Isaiah in a moment about the Word of God. But he's not just changing topic, he's returning to how he began this section, which was to purify ourselves through the obedience of the truth. The truth is the Word of God. The truth is the Word of God which has produced our new birth and will sustain our new birth, which is what next week's passage will be about, the sustaining power of the Word of God. But this reminds us that our new life has come from something that is not perishable, but something imperishable. An imperishable seed. And our brotherly love comes from an imperishable seed. The love that you have received from Christ came from an imperishable seed and the love that we give to one another comes from an imperishable Saviour. Imperishable is a powerful word to ponder. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot fade. Like the hope that we have in heaven, unfading, undefiled. That is how our faith and new life began and it's how our love should continue as well because our love is founded upon obedience to the truth. But also, as we just ponder the Word of God more, what is, imperishable, what is the Word that is imperishable? John 1, 1, of course, tells us that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word of God is a living Word. He is personal, able to be known, and who knows you. The Word of God took on a perishable body, took on what is perishable and raised and was raised up after death imperishable. The Word of God is abiding always and faithful to Himself. The Word of God is, of course, Jesus. So when we are born of something that's imperishable, we are born of the Holy One, Jesus, once you were born of Adam, whose first son didn't have sincere brotherly love, but murdered his brother out of envy. That was your heritage. Your heritage was the perishable seed of Adam because of sin. But now, your older brother doesn't reject you for returning but welcomes the wayward child and dies on their behalf to welcome them in. Jesus. Jesus is the imperishable seed, the Word of God. This section is about our beginning. How do we get this new birth? And how do we obtain sincere brotherly love? We get it from the imperishable seed of the Word of God, which is Christ, who came in human flesh and died and spoke words of life 
into our life and gave us new life in Him. Peter will now put emphasis on his teaching by quoting Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah 46 to 8 is the reference here in verse 24 and 25. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. This beautiful little poem gives us something in creation for us to ponder. God does this a lot through His Scripture. That, like Psalm 19 reveals to us, the world around us reveals God to us. That there's so many things we can look and see and know that God is doing things in our life. The amount of times we are called to look at an animal for teaching. The ant that is a hard worker or the bird that doesn't worry about what it needs. Here we are to look at the grass. The grass that grows, but the grass that also will die. It's perishable. Like the life in Adam because of sin is perishable. Our life now and everyone born of Adam is compared to the glory of the the grass. If you think you have any glory, any beauty, or any excellencies in your life, in the flesh, it is compared to the flowers that grow in the grass. Dandelions, yellow and beautiful in the morning, yet shriveled and ugly in the evening. They burn up, their beauty is gone, and it fades. So is your fleshly beauty, so is your fleshly wisdom, so is your fleshly love. It may look beautiful at the beginning, but it will shrivel and it will die by sundown. This is our carnal glory. It's temporal, it's perishable, it's fading. Your flesh will fade. It's perishable because of sin, because it has entered in through Adam and has descended to all his descendants, descendants, which Paul says is all man and woman. If we trust in the flesh, at the end of the day, we'll be shriveled and ugly. If we trust in the flesh as the church, at the end of the day, it will die. Many churches over the years have trusted in the flesh and they do not exist anymore. Just think physically about yourself. You may be beautiful at the moment, but one day your beauty is going to fade like a dandelion. Your deeds done in the flesh are like the dandelions of the fields, and they look beautiful to start with, but they are becoming ugly by every minute. This is about the roots of our work. Where are the roots of our work? And to apply it to what Peter wants us to apply it to, what are the roots of our love. Because if our love is dependent upon ourselves and, the, and dependent upon the flesh, it will not last. But, is it, but if our love is dependent upon the Word, then it will remain forever. Temporal or forever. 
That's the position that Peter is putting before us. This church will either be temporary for a moment or forever. Forever with the glory of God. Because compared to the flesh, in verse 25 it says, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Forever. God's word will never be blotted out, wiped away. Christ says that in Matthew 5, not a dot, not an iota will I wipe out. Churches that have been founded upon the flesh, upon a person, a personality, a brand, withered away and became ugly. Just take the Mars Hill movement for a moment. 15 years it took to build that church to 15,000 or 20,000 people. 15 years. And in three months it perished when the brand of Mark Driscoll fell because he didn't remain upon the word. Our sincere brotherly love is completely dependent upon our abiding in the vine of Christ. The very last sentence of this teaching by Peter is, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. How encouraging is that? This word that lasts forever, which your sincere brotherly love is dependent upon and rooted in, was preached to you. You have this word. It just reminds me of like a grandfather getting down with their grandchildren, tender and loving and through a broken voice saying, this is the word that was preached to you. You have this. Church, we have this. We know the Word. Peter is saying you know the Word. You've been taught by the Word. You've been born by the Word. The imperishable Word. It is never the wrong time to pull out the Word or turn to the Word for counsel. If there's anything I want to change in my life, it's that I want to have the Bible open more in conversations and less of my own mouth. We have become so apologetic about the way we use the word. It's like we have to apologize when someone has suffered loss and we bring out a psalm to read to them. Oh, sorry, I've got the Bible. That's all I've got. That's the everlasting word. Everything else is dandelions. Ugly. Fading. Your advice, your wisdom, your love, your kindness is all fading. But the word lasts forever. Your counsel, it's worthless compared to the word. We don't need to be apologetic about the word of God. Like Vody Borkham says, when we're in a 
argument with a non-believer or even a believer and they just go, oh, I don't believe that part of Scripture. Most of us just shut the Bible and go, oh, I'm sorry. It's the truth. We don't need to apologize for opening up the Word. We don't need to shut it when someone says they don't believe it. Because it's living and abiding. And when they're gone, or their suffering or their experience is gone, the Word will continue. It will continue on. Next week is about the Word building our faith. That we would grow in the Word. So rather than preaching next week's sermons now, let's just think about the roots of our community. That our lives were born from imperishable seed, which is the Word, Christ Jesus our Lord, and will be kept by the Word. So Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And, his, and on his law he meditates day and night. Once again, let's learn from creation. He's like a tree, not like the weeds of the grass, planted by the streams of water that yield its fruits in season and its leaf does not wither. By the word, church, we can endure with sincere brotherly love and the world will know that we are Christ's disciples when we do. We can be like trees that continue to grow in beauty and stature and strength that will never wither rather than the weeds of the grass. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank thankful that we are your children. We are thankful that we are born of imperishable seed. That Christ, the living Word, became human flesh. and perished in human flesh, flesh that He was raised imperishable for us. That we too will be raised imperishable. As those who, Lord, are founded upon imperishable seed, would we grow by the imperishable Word that will last forever. Will nothing, as we know nothing separates us from your love, would nothing separate us 
in the church. That through obedience to your word, would our brotherly love for one another grow? And would the communities of this world crave to be a part of your kingdom, which is seen in the local church today? Would they taste of it? Would we preach to them the word that we ourselves have received? And would they be saved and born again? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.